0: The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the hosts and the guests.
1: Hello and welcome to Two Millennials One Podcast. I'm your host, Abby Richmond,
0: And I'm Ethan Gable. And welcome to episode 10. Can you believe we made it to episode 10, Abs? This is quite the feat. I concur. I never thought we'd make it this far. As always, before we get started... Please, please, please subscribe to this show. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, anywhere where you get your podcasts. Go ahead and subscribe, like us, give us a thousand stars. We appreciate it.
1: And tell your friends.
0: All right, today's episode, to celebrate our 10th episode, we're going to talk about the most controversial topic of them all. We're talking abortion.
1: Here we freaking go.
0: Why don't you start, Abby? Uh, how do you feel about abortion?
1: I feel that abortion is really up to the woman who is facing the decision. I think that like it's not my place to say whether or not a person can have an abortion because I don't know the situation or the circumstances in which this girl is going through. But I do kind of like feel uncomfortable if this child would be able to live on their own. And you're wanting to abort it i think that like if you're thinking about abortion you should do it as early as possible but still like it's not my decision
0: i completely agree i do not want to make any laws telling people what to do for the most part and abortion falls into that category for me i believe there are other options that are better in some circumstances but i understand adoption and those things don't work in all circumstances so that's why i do not want to remove a woman's right to have an abortion but like you said if you're going to do it, get it done early. I'm not down with the late term abortion thing. And personally, if I was ever in that situation with my significant other, I would definitely try to avoid that at all costs. It's an uncomfortable thought to terminate a pregnancy. However, I don't feel that the government should make laws prohibiting it.
1: Right. Because, like, it's not their job.
0: I concur. And hearing a liberal and an anarchist agree on something, what a treat. <laughs> As this is a millennial podcast, I looked up some data on how millennials feel about abortion, and I was shocked to find out that our generation, even though it is one of the most liberal generations when compared to Generation X and the baby boomers, millennials are not that liberal on abortion. They hesitate as a whole to be termed as pro-life, but as I previously said, they are less liberal on the topic. In fact, a 2017 Quinnipiac poll showed that 49% of millennials supported a ban on abortions after 20 weeks. In that same poll, they found out that 35% of millennials feel that abortion should be legal in all cases— and 9% of millennials feel that it should be illegal in all cases. What do you think, Abby? Do you think there are cases where abortion should be illegal? Where do you fall on that divide, or would you put yourself in the middle of that?
1: Uh, I think that you should probably just not do it if the baby can survive. Late-term abortions, I think, shouldn't be acceptable, but then where do I draw the line of like, what if this baby we find out has a life damaging health defect? What happens if you don't figure that out until the third trimester and then you want to abort the baby?
0: No, that's a fair point. So you would probably put yourself into the category of, I wouldn't say legal in all cases, but probably closer on that end.
1: Yeah. I'm not totally okay with it all of the time, but I think that I would lean towards, you know, just don't regulate it because it's not our
0: place. Okay. Okay not to head down the religion path again, but how do you feel as a religious person? I know most Christians or people with faith are pretty pro-life or pretty anti-abortion. How do you square that with your faith?
1: I feel like most Christians that I encounter are definitely like, don't have abortions, that's killing God's creation, and and are definitely against that option. But I don't really think of having an abortion as doing something like that because, you know, unless the baby is a viable source of life and is already ready to come into the world, then I don't think that it's considered murder or whatever. So I think that my religion doesn't really interfere with my feelings on abortion.
0: So you would say that if a woman or a couple decided to have an abortion because they weren't in a financial place to appropriately raise a child or didn't have the means to and they aborted the fetus because of those reasons even though the fetus would hypothetically be a healthy baby does that not cause some controversy in your mind or how do you feel about that situation
1: i think that like if that couple were to have the child and not give it up for adoption or do something different with the child I think that that baby would grow up just as the parents did and and not have privileges and not be loved because the baby wasn't wanted and it would be born into poverty. And so I think that that child's life wouldn't be as good as it could be. And if the parents waited until they were financially stable to raise a child, I think that that life would be a lot more ready. You know what I mean?
0: Sure. That actually reminds me of a somewhat uncomfortable, I guess it's a fact, it's an observation we'll go with, that Freakonomics pointed out since Roe v. Wade, uh, since abortion has been legal in the early 70s or mid-70s, 18 years after that, the U.S. crime rate started to drop and has been decreasing ever since. And there are a group of people that think that's because the people that typically would commit crimes or be raised in bad homes have been aborted. So they don't exist to commit crimes.
1: Hmm. (laughs) That's an interesting theory. I don't know how accurate it is, but it's interesting. (laughs) I agree. I think that, like, if there aren't as many kids being born under the poverty line in which they would have to, like, steal things to actually have dinner or commit crimes and for desperate measures, uh, that makes sense.
0: I always thought so. It makes me feel uncomfortable, but it definitely makes sense. I could see that being the case. As far as another poll I saw, in 2015, Gallup showed that 21% of Americans will only vote for political candidates that support their views on abortion. And I mean, we see that all the time about hardcore religious people voting for someone as amoral as Donald Trump because of his supposed views on abortion. Like we see that people will do some crazy things just on that one issue. Do you agree with that? Is someone about ready to be a voting age? Will that play a part in who you decide to vote for?
1: 110%. I think that if the government does end up regulating abortion like it's not going to make it stop It's going to make it dangerous. Before it was legal, there were abortions happening and people were dying and it's dangerous. So I don't think that it's a good idea to vote for someone who's going to just say, I know this is a thing that's going to happen, but I'm going to make it illegal. It needs to be legal and safe so that people
0: don't get hurt. I agree. And I think that's exactly why people view that as such an important issue when picking political candidates, because you're exactly right. Prior to Roe versus Wade, when it was illegal, dangerous things were being done. to abort pregnancies, and not only did that put the baby in harm's way, it's putting the mother in harm's way, and I completely agree with you that it should be allowed and it should be safe. I look as well, when I'm deciding to vote for a political candidate, they can't have some crazy view on abortion. I mean, you even looked at the millennial poll, where only 9% of millennials feel that abortion should be illegal in all cases. However, there is a political party that runs on that platform, that abortion should be illegal. Yeah, that's a big thing you got to consider when you cast a vote. Absolutely. While I'm ripping on said political party, they have an absolute hatred for Planned Parenthood. I never understood this. So for this podcast, I looked this up. The service provides birth control, cancer, and STI screenings, as well as abortions. But abortions only comprise 3% of Planned Parenthood services. And Republicans hardcore want to defund Planned Parenthood. The government provides $500 million for their budget, but that only comprises 40% of their total budget. So the government pays for 40% and then 3% of the services go to abortion. But Republicans want to completely defund it to stop government paid for abortions. Uh, How do you feel about that?
1: Well, if not even that much of the percentage of what Planned Parenthood is doing is abortions, I don't understand why they're attacking it. If you want to stop abortions, then shouldn't you be supporting things like birth control and other preventative measures?
0: Absolutely. And that's what drives me bonkers. They are so anti-abortion, and I shouldn't just say Republicans, there are probably some Democrats or Independents that absolutely want to eliminate abortions, but they don't dive in with something that would actually fix the problem. There should be easier access to birth control, there should be easier access to prophylactics, there shouldn't be such a stigma around acquiring those things. And if you provided these for the public, ideally they'd be having safer sex, there'd be less unplanned pregnancies, and there wouldn't be a need for abortion to begin with. But I don't feel that we live in a society where it's easy to obtain birth control or prophylactics or education on safe sex. Would you agree with that as a a young person in the world? Do you think that information or those items are easy to obtain?
1: I definitely don't think so. I had to go through so many hoops just to get birth control to regulate my periods, and I don't think that that's something that should be happening. Because you can't say, like, no, you can't have easy access to these preventative measures. And then once you have the child that we help make sure that you couldn't prevent against, we're not going to let you abort it either. Like, you can't have both
0: it doesn't make a lick of sense to me. I think we as a society need to move into the realm of here's all the information, here are the things to have safe sex, and abortion could for most cases become just a non-issue. Because if you can cut down on the unplanned pregnancies, or pregnancies due to rape, or all of these things where abortion comes in, if you can reduce them happening in the first place, then abortion is not even an issue.
1: Exactly. If everyone had open access to these things, then like the number of unwanted pregnancies would be going down. And so the need for abortions would also be going down. Stop regulating one of them.
0: No doubt. I don't get the war on Planned Parenthood. I don't get the war on information, being safe, allowing birth control to be bought over the counter, allowing prophylactics to be less expensive or just provided Um, I know that gets into the whole thing of like, what can the government or should the government provide and not provide? But I mean, if you want a society that's not engaging in terminating pregnancies, give us the tools that would not get us into the problem in the first place. Seems like an easy fix. However, I haven't seen anything in my lifetime that has moved us closer to that.
1: Which is sad,
0: but... What can you do, right? Rant about it on a podcast. (laughs) All right, let's talk about sexual education. As you and I both know, in high schools around the country, they practice abstinence-only education. Which, to give them credit, abstinence is the only 100% effective way to not have an unplanned pregnancy or get an STI. So I'll give them credit on that. However, there have been studies, many studies, that have shown that abstinence-only education does not work in the prevention of unplanned pregnancies or STI acquisition, if you will. If you don't believe me and you're listening to this, look up the Journal of Adolescent Health. They have several studies on just that, that abstinence-only education does not work. Have you been exposed to abstinence-only education in your career?
1: It's definitely what they taught when I was in health class and being exposed to sex education. We pretty much just learned about, like, here's how completely awful STIs are, and if you have sex, it's going to be mentally detrimental And it's just a bad decision, and like you're gonna end up being in such trouble that it's not gonna be worth it. So just avoid it at all costs. We didn't ever really talk about like, here's how to be safe and here's how to like go get yourself tested. It was just basically like, here's what's gonna happen. So don't do it.
0: And that's a state policy. I went ahead and looked this up and schools in Missouri are not required to teach about contraception at all. They don't have to talk about it. However, they must discuss the emotional and psychological consequences of sex. They have to do that, but they don't have to say a word about contraception. And that seems backwards to me. Should emotional and psychological consequences of sex be mentioned? Yes, students need to be aware of what that activity entails. But at the same time, if you're going to require that talk, There should be some requirement on, here are some ways to have safe sex if you're going to engage versus just don't do it. If you have sex, you'll die type of education. That's not effective.
1: It promotes, well, it doesn't promote, but it leads kids into being scared to ask questions because if all these bad things are going to happen, then once they're in the situation of, okay, I've had sex now. What if I wasn't safe? What if I need to go get tested now? And they don't know how to do those things because they weren't ever taught in class. If they don't feel safe asking their parents, they're just stuck. And so that could definitely result in, Untreated STIs or unplanned pregnancies in which the baby isn't cared for or things like that. And so I definitely think that abstinence only education is unsafe.
0: I agree. Uh, Where did you receive your human sexuality education? Was that in a PE class or a health class? Where did that occur?
1: Uh, I had anatomy lessons for the opposite sex and like PE in middle school and things like that, but it wasn't extensive whatsoever. It was just, this is what a penis looks like. Okay, we're moving on. And so I didn't really learn about like sex ed until my health class freshman year, which was basically just a week long section in a whole semester class. It wasn't really thorough. It was just kind of like, we're just kind of going to skim over everything. And at the end of the week, here's your purity flower. Bye.
0: Yeah. We'll come back to that purity flower here in a second. I was trying to think back. Uh, last night on my sexual education in high school. And as far as I know, they taught that as a unit in PE class. However, in the state of Iowa, or at least at the school district I attended, you did not have to take physical education if you took a full academic load. So at no point in high school did I receive sex education. I didn't have any of it. And I assume that was the case for a lot of students. And during my time in high school, we had so many girls pregnant. So many.
1: Wow. Yeah. We're required to take at least one half credit of health. So I guess we're all required to take it, but it's not required that you take it freshman year. It's just suggested. So definitely if you like leave it till the end of your senior year, there's still an opportunity to, you know, miss out on that.
0: Sure. And even if you do take it, I mean, the only things they are required to talk about is how bad sex is and not give you the uh, information on contraceptives. Yeah, I feel like we're doing a giant disservice to students. And then they wonder why so many of them end up pregnant in high school or end up with a sexually transmitted infection. I looked up a bunch of uh, wording on sex education policies of a bunch of school districts in the state. And I was just dismayed by the ordering of importance on sexuality education or sex education, rather. Number one says abstinence is the only 100% effective choice. That was the number one thing mentioned in all the board policies that i read (laughs) number two was to stress std slash health hazards of sexual activity that was number two so if they're following the board policy i say never have sex kids if you do you're going to get an std and then finally in the third point of emphasis teachers or whoever's educating needs to present the possible side effects And then it says, and benefits of contraceptives. So finally, third step down, right after side effects of birth control and condoms are mentioned, then finally talk about the benefits, which apparently doesn't happen at all. Seems very troubling. Back to what you were saying about the purity flower. What was that all about?
1: So I'm not really sure that the teacher I had really went into depth about what the flowers were actually for. He kind of just had a big bucket of these roses of different colors up at the front of the classroom. And when we finished our last lesson in the sex education topic, he was like, here are these flowers. They kind of represent your sexual purity. They're really pretty now, but once you have sex with your partner, the flower is going to start wilting and it's going to be all gross. And so make sure you keep your flower nice and pretty. And that was it. I don't really get the whole point of that or what the idea behind it is, but we were handed flowers and carried them around all day at school and it was really uncomfortable because everyone asked about it upperclassmen made fun of you because you were the freshman going through sex ed with a flower.
0: Yeah, as a teacher, I've seen that. It's almost a mockery. Students are walking around with their flowers and like giving them to other people and getting laughed at. Does that compel anybody to change their ways or maybe not go engage in these activities?
1: (laughs) No, like it is literally a rose that I guarantee will not go anywhere. But the ground or a trash can by the end of the day. I did not think about the flower whatsoever immediately after I walked out of class. I don't know if if the purpose of the flower is to give us a tangible reminder because if it is like it definitely does not work.
0: And that's not the only activity that they do in sexual ed. I looked a few of these up, giving students a piece of tape and they get to stick it to multiple things until it loses its stick. And this is symbolizing you if you have multiple sexual partners and encounters, you lose the ability to stick to somebody and have a fulfilling relationship. The everyone has a cup of water and someone chews something up and spits it in the water, and they swap the water in their cups, and everybody's water is now dirty from intermingling and being heathens. I can't imagine that stuff works. Like you said with the rose, does that stick with a kid after they leave sex ed?
1: The tape analogy definitely like stuck in my mind. Now, I'm not sure if it's just because it was totally visual and it actually like work as a metaphor or something but I don't know if that's true I think that a person if they're being smart about it if they're making sure that they're mentally ready to have multiple partners in their life like I don't think that anyone else is to say that they're not going to have a meaningful relationship I think that depends person to person and their ability to be ready for something like that so I don't think that it's smart for a teacher to be like hey like if you have multiple partners you're a bad person and you're not going to have a good relationship and life and you're just going to be sad forever. Like, I I think that's setting someone up for self-hatred, I guess.
0: It seems like a terrible idea to present this and only this to the adolescents of America. It's a scare tactic. I get why they're doing it. They have this puritanical idea that everyone's going to wait till marriage to have sex. That's not reasonable. In a perfect world, does that happen? Sure, but not in this world. And to pretend that if we give students roses and don't educate them about condoms and birth control and safe sex that they just won't do it and everything will be fine. That seems to be the worst way to approach things. And we have the results of it. It is ineffective. There are teenage pregnancies all over the place. There are sexually transmitted infections going around. We've got to change how this is done.
1: Another part of sex ed, at least at the school that I went to, is it's strictly hetero couples. They only talk about Male female relationships, and that's the only kind of education
0: we get. Oh, absolutely. And that's a huge sticking point, and that's becoming more and more of an issue it's almost enforcing a certain group's belief on everybody of man and woman waiting till marriage that type of idea when that's not the reality either you're ignoring gay and trans and all of these other people that have arguably even more questions and concerns and the need for information more than just your run of the mill student but they don't get addressed at all that again is just a giant disservice that's very unfair
1: right like if you don't tell a gay person that they're are ways to be safe in a homosexual relationship then they're just not going to be safe because they don't know if a female and female couple are having sex and they don't know that there are female condoms and ways to prevent STIs between two females like that's just going to be unsafe sex and that's just as dangerous.
0: Right. So not only are we doing this to the heterosexual students by not giving them any information on safe sex, we're doing it to all the students. At least they're being fair in that respect. No one has any information on safe sex. It's just don't do it. Here's some pictures of STIs and here's your rose. (laughs) So helpful. Yep. Very effective. So... For all these people listening that have made it to this far that are just sad about the world and sad that we're advocating abortion and safe sex information and education, here's another surprising fact about millennials. Millennials as a generation have less sex than previous generations. In fact, the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, showed in a 2017 study that that people between the ages of 15 and 19, only 42% of women and 44% of men had said that they had had sex at that point in their life, between 15 and 19. Whereas in the year 1988, that was 51% of women and 60% of men. So despite millennials coming off as this like hookup culture and sexually deviant and sexually liberated and free, we as a generation are not engaging in sex at that age at those young ages where typically people think that's going to happen we're doing it less anyway
1: holy cow that's actually really surprising to me
0: i think it's surprising to a lot of people it was surprising enough to me where i had to immediately look up why this is happening here's what i found despite millennials as i said appearing to be very hookup oriented and oh tinder i'm gonna swipe right on this dude type of thing (laughs) apparently here are some of the reasons millennials are more strategic when they date and look for partners, and technology has facilitated that, whereas before, I mean, it was just you and everybody you knew. There's less discretion. With technology, we're able to pinpoint things that we like in people. Also, because we're just a busier generation in general, and I know you've spoken to that in previous podcasts of just how busy everybody is at all times, so that has cut down on the number or the percentage, apparently. So, busier and more strategic courtesy of technology are the reasons why millennials are having less sex.
1: I definitely think that makes sense because if you can be picky, I guess is the word I want to use, then it's going to allow you to definitely narrow down, you know, who you want to be with and like why, and it allows you to definitely choose like, this is the partner that I want to be with. And so I think that it definitely
0: makes sense. Yeah, along with that, they were kind of tearing down the hookup culture of our generation and saying that even though it does appear to be a hookup culture, ultimately, even us, the drained, empty millennials that are just tuned into technology and soulless and everybody needs an award and are just vapid and destroy everything, even us, when we date, when we hook up, when we talk to people, we are ultimately looking for a long-term relationship or looking for someone to be with that has not been lost in our generation and since we're more picky and more strategic that has cut down on the percentage of millennials having sex
1: i think that's interesting why are we considered as millennials such a barge group of people in the hookup culture if this thing really did say that we're not having as much sex as a generation then why do we have that big stigma or like stereotype surrounding us
0: I think it's just so widespread because of the internet. The idea that there's an app on your phone, not your phone specifically, but on phones where you can swipe right on somebody and then go have sex with them later. Those types of things that have been facilitated by technology, I think gives our generation a bad name because we as a generation are the ones using those. And to earlier generations, that's got to appear slightly cringy. Not that they were doing anything better than us. You know what I mean? Like they were going to bars and hooking up with people. We're just on our phones doing it, but it seems less sincere, I suppose.
1: I guess. But then, like, all of our conversations, well, more of our conversations are through the internet anyways, so I guess I don't get that.
0: Right, and I just think it comes off as less sincere. Mm -hmm. But the stats say that we are not having as much sex, and we don't like abortion as much as the previous generation. So hate on millennials all you want, but... (laughs) We seem to be a slightly better generation on these topics. There we go. Should we wrap this up?
1: Yeah. Do you have a song pick of the week?
0: I do have a song pick of the week. Let me find it.
1: Wow. Okay. I'll go with mine then.
0: Okay. Yeah. What is your song pick of the week?
1: So I've been jamming to my Discover Weekly on Spotify again, and I found this band called The Moms, and it's these three dudes, and I tried looking them up to find out more about them, and their website is so sparse. They don't have a Wikipedia page. So I don't really know a whole lot about them. However, the song that I am currently in love with is called Soup Song, and it has only 300 views on YouTube. And so I'm not sure if anybody even knows what I'm talking about, but it's such a good song.
0: All right. I'll have to check that out. My song for this week is a sad one. It's called Lost on You by Lewis Capaldi, which I also discovered on Spotify. And if you want to be sad, because who doesn't, check that song out. (laughs)
1: Love being sad.
0: It's the best feeling. (laughs) All right, folks. Thank you for checking us out on our 10th episode. I hope you love this podcast as much as we love making it. This is an absolute hoot. I hope we have 10 more episodes to share with you. Keep checking us out. Keep subscribing. Show it to your friends. Post it on MySpace. Post it on MySpace? And Tumblr. Ooh, tumble us. Please tumble this podcast. (laughs) We'll be back next week with another fantastic episode, I'm sure. Thanks again for listening. Have a great week. Peace out. Bye.
1: (laughs) Bye.